Welcome to the Gren Zone. Dissecting dermatology differently. Here is your host, Dr. Logan Kolb. Hey, welcome back to another episode. I hope you're all enjoying life and ready to move on to the next subcategory of the papulosquamous disorders, the pityriasiform rashes, which includes pityriasis rosea, secondary syphilis, and tinea versicolor. These pityriasiform rashes are relatively common, and with the incidence of syphilis on the rise, we need to have an organized approach to them, which we'll obviously discuss today. But before we jump in, let's again review those reaction patterns and mention our disclaimer that this episode is meant for educational and informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Nor does this episode represent the views of Orange Park Medical Center, Olmsted Medical Center, or their affiliates. The five reaction patterns are papulosquamous, eczematous, vascular, dermal, and vesiculobullous. We just finished our first subcategory of papulosquamous disorders by discussing the psoriasiform rashes, which includes psoriasis, seborrheic dermatitis, mycosis fungoides, parasoriasis, and pityriasis rubra pilaris. Today we will knock out the entire second subcategory, the pityriasiform rashes, which includes pityriasis rosea, secondary syphilis, and tinea versicolor. In the upcoming episodes, we will discuss the other subcategories of papulosquamous disorders, which include lichenoid, annular, and erythrodermic rashes. Keep in mind that although we put the papulosquamous disorders into these subcategories, the differential diagnosis often overlaps for many of them. All right, your pityriasiform rashes are going to resemble the prototype pityriasis rosea. The other pityriasiform conditions that Dr. Gropper discusses in his paper include secondary syphilis and tinea versicolor. We'll do an overview of all three of these disorders before seeing a patient with a pityriasiform rash in clinic with our friend Dr. Grumpy Pants. Uh, you again. You better know your stuff a little better than yesterday if you want to be back tomorrow. Let's start with pityriasis rosea, not to be confused with pityriasis rubra pilaris. Pityriasis rosea, also referred to as PR, classically affects younger patients between 10 and 40 years old and starts with a herald patch that starts anywhere from hours to weeks before a diffuse eruption of smaller, salmon-colored, slightly scaly, oval or circular macules, patches, and plaques on the trunk and proximal extremities. That herald patch is present in about 75% of PR cases. It is usually the largest lesion at around 2 to 5 centimeters and may have a trailing scale, meaning that the scale does not reach the leading erythematous edge of the lesion. Mm, acceptable at best. What other condition may display a trailing scale? Remember that this trailing scale is also present in erythema annularis centrifugum, also known as EAC. Some say that this trailing scale of PR faces or opens outwards, while the trailing scale of EAC usually faces inwards towards the center of the lesion, but obviously there can be some variation with this. So, getting back to pityriasis rosea, the lesions of PR are usually oriented along lines of skin cleavage in a Christmas tree pattern and are itchy in about 25% of cases. There are also atypical forms of pityriasis rosea, which include papular PR, which, like papular eczema, more commonly affects African-American children in immunosuppressed patients and may involve the face and the scalp. Other atypical variants of PR include inverse pityriasis rosea, which affects the intertriginous areas, and the rarely encountered oral PR, which has aphthous-like ulcerations. Pityriasis rosea usually resolves on its own in three to eight weeks, 
so it's very important to give patients realistic expectations for when they can expect their rash to resolve. A nice pearl for patient counseling, it's better to under-promise and over-deliver rather than the other way around. If you give them the impression that it will take up to 8 weeks to resolve, they'll be happy with 4 weeks. If you give them the impression it'll take only about 2 weeks to go away, they'll be pissed when it takes 4 weeks. So always under-promise and over-deliver. Um, well, I guess. That is, if you ever make it to the point where you'll be delivering news to patients. If one were to biopsy a herald patch, what would it show? Biopsy findings of PR include thin mounds of perikeratosis, spongiosis, a perivascular lymphohistiocytic infiltrate, and extravasated red blood cells. Again, histo for PR shows thin mounds of perikeratosis, spongiosis, a perivascular lymphohistiocytic infiltrate, and extravasated red blood cells. Mm, okay, okay. What is the cause of pityriasis rosea? The answer would be bug or drug, which refers to possible viral associations such as human herpes viruses 6 and 7, bacterial infections such as strep, and then drug-induced cases caused by ACE inhibitors, NSAIDs, beta blockers, and gold. So picture your typical hypertensive patient who takes ibuprofen and drinks a little too much Goldschlager to ease their back pain. To quickly summarize pityriasis rosea, remember that it affects younger patients and presents with a herald patch followed by a diffuse eruption of salmon-colored, slightly scaly oval patches and plaques in a Christmas tree pattern that favors the trunk and proximal extremities. Lesions may have a trailing scale and they can be mildly itchy. Patients may also have a mild viral illness prior to the onset of the rash because remember that human herpes viruses 6 and 7 are associated. Biopsy findings of PR include thin mounds of perikeratosis, spongiosis, a perivascular lymphohistiocytic infiltrate, and extravasated red blood cells. And there are atypical variants of pityriasis rosea, including papular, inverse, and oral PR. Okay, now that we've got the prototype down, let's work our way down the differential for pityriasis rosea and start with secondary syphilis. Ah, secondary syphilis. That's like the common cold in your generation. No doubt we could easily culture it from one of the hula hoops at an electric dance festival. I could dedicate a whole episode to syphilis itself, but let's run over some basics. Syphilis is caused by the gram-negative spirochete treponema pallidum and can present in congenital, primary, secondary, and tertiary forms. Although there is a lot of variation in the timing of these forms, I like to remember a general timeline with what I call the rule of three weeks. In adults, it takes roughly three weeks after acquiring syphilis for the primary chancre to develop, which is a painless, indurated ulcer that is often associated with inguinal lymphadenopathy. The chancre then lasts about three weeks. Then, roughly three weeks after the chancre appeared and while it is healing, the rash of secondary syphilis starts and can last from three to twelve weeks. So again, these are very rough averages with the rule of threes, but here it is again. You acquire syphilis, three weeks later you get the chancre, the chancre lasts about three weeks, then as that's resolving, secondary syphilis starts and lasts three to twelve weeks. After that, there is a latency period lasting from months to years before tertiary syphilis sets in with its gummas, cardiovascular, and neurologic changes. Since this is the pityriasiform episode, we will focus on secondary syphilis. 
The rash of secondary syphilis can look very similar to pityriasis rosea, but there are three big differences. What are they? Come on now, this information may have dire implications in your personal life. One, the rash has a darker copper color compared to the salmon-colored lesions of PR. Two, there usually isn't a herald patch in secondary syphilis. And three, secondary syphilis can affect the palms and soles, but not always. Other signs and symptoms of secondary syphilis include a prodrome of fatigue, fever, and arthralgias, along with the clinical findings of generalized lymphadenopathy, a moth-eaten pattern of alopecia that's present in about 5% of patients, condylomalata-like lesions in the mouth, and actual condylomalata on the genitals, which appear as smooth, broad, flat verruca. So to quickly summarize secondary syphilis, about three weeks after inoculation of the gram-negative spirochete treponema pallidum, patients will develop a painless chancre and lymphadenopathy. Approximately three weeks after that, as the chancre heals, patients develop the rash of secondary syphilis that presents with a pityriasiform papulosquamous rash that is copper-colored, lacks a herald patch, and can affect the palms and soles. Secondary syphilis may also be associated with condylomalata-like lesions in the mouth and genitals, along with a moth-eaten alopecia and diffuse lymphadenopathy. I want to add the disclaimer that the timeline for syphilis is quite variable, with an incubation period of 10 to 90 days for the development of the primary chancre and a range of 3 to 10 weeks for the development of secondary syphilis after the primary chancre. However, I find that my three-week rule helps me to remember a rough timeline and guides my questioning for patients, so I mention it to you all. So, let's discuss tinea versicolor quick before we see a patient at clinic with Dr. Grumpy Pants. I'm still waiting. Tinea versicolor, also known as pityriasis versicolor, is caused by the yeast Malassezia globosa and Malassezia furfur. Tinea versicolor commonly presents as scattered, hypopigmented macules and patches on the upper trunk and proximal extremities. A common question that you might get from an attending or senior resident might be, And why are these lesions hypopigmented? The answer is that Malassezia yeast digest oils on the skin into azelaic acid, which is a dicarboxylic acid that inhibits melanocyte melanin production and shuts off the formation of pigment. However, tinea versicolor isn't always hypopigmented and only looks that way when exposed to the sun, which tans the surrounding skin. Without sun exposure, tinea versicolor presents as tan to red macules, patches, and plaques with a fine scale. It is typically located on the sebaceous areas of the upper torso and proximal extremities and can look very similar to pityriasis rosea. A nice little trick is that this fine scale can be made more obvious by stretching the skin of one of the lesions. Tinea versicolor tends to occur in summer or humid climates when patient's skin tends to be oilier, and like pityriasis rosea, tinea versicolor tends to affect a younger patient population. Tinea versicolor can be diagnosed by performing a KOH scraping of the lesions, which will reveal the hyphae and spores of malassezia, which look like spaghetti and meatballs underneath the microscope. Alright, let's go to clinic and see one of these pityriasiform rashes with Dr. Grumpy Pants. Oh, it's you again. Go see the patient in room 5. They have a rash and I'm not in the mood. The patient is a Caucasian, college-aged male with a diffuse rash that started 10 days ago. The medical assistant hands you the chart and says, I think it's Pia. You got five minutes, kid. You walk into the room, introduce yourself, and ask to quickly take a look at the rash. 
He indeed has a pityriciform rash with scattered erythematous macules, papules, and plaques with fine scale on his back, upper chest, and arms. So you sit down and you get a history of the rash, including previous episodes, presence of a herald patch at onset, and progression since it has started. And then you get a review of systems, including constitutional symptoms like fever and fatigue, pruritus of the lesions, arthralgias, and any other worrisome symptoms. The patient first noticed the rash 10 days ago on his back with scattered patches and plaques. It is sometimes itchy, and he did not notice a herald patch at the time. (laughs) But I don't, you know, I can't see my back, so (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) He also denies previous episodes of similar rashes, which is helpful because tinea versicolor can often come and go, especially if patients are not using maintenance therapy. So because secondary syphilis is on our differential, you want to get a good sexual history, asking about new sexual partners in recent months prior to the rash, the use of protection, etc. Now it's time for the exam. Step 1, put on some gloves because if you're truly worried about syphilis, those suckers are alive and well in the lesions that you'll be examining. Step 2, do a thorough head-to-toe skin exam. Look in the scalp for the moth-eaten alopecia of syphilis. Look in the mouth for condyloma-like lesions or the white lacy Wickham striae that could hint you towards lichen planus. Examine the rash itself and look for a herald patch, a trailing scale, or any fine scale in general that would be good to use to scrape for a KOH prep. Remember that you can stretch the skin to bring out this scale. Next, examine the intertriginous areas for signs of inverse pityriasis rosea, and if you're worried about secondary syphilis, get the patient's permission to examine their genitals so that you can look for signs of a syphilitic chancre. Next, never ever forget to do a thorough lymph node exam, including the inguinal lymph nodes, which can be a great clue for syphilis. And last but not least, make sure you look at the patient's palms and soles for lesions which could be suggestive of secondary syphilis. When you're done with your exam, don't forget to do a KOH of one of the lesions so you can look for the hyphae and spores of malassezia causing tinea versicolor. So you got your thorough history and physical on the patient, with some notable findings being that he has had a couple of new sexual partners in recent months, and on exam he has scattered erythematous macules, papules, and plaques on the upper torso and arms, along with a couple of faint erythematous macules on his palms. However, you didn't feel any palpable lymph nodes, nor did you see any genital lesions. You checked the KOH slide and didn't see much in the way of hyphae or spores, so you present all of the above to Dr. Grumpy Pants. So you're worried that syphilis is making a comeback here in my town, are you? Well then, what do you propose we do for this young chap? You let him know that there are several options, but since the treatments for pityriasis rosea are mostly supportive with reassurance that the rash will resolve in three to eight weeks, we should focus on ruling out syphilis. We could always do labs, including an RPR with reflex to screen for syphilis. If the RPR is positive, the lab will automatically test the RPR titer and test for the fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption test, abbreviated FTA-ABS, as a confirmatory test. Dr. G adds in a teaching point for once. Remember the non-treponemal tests, the RPR and the VDRL, test for IgM and IgG antibodies against a mixture of lipids including cardiolipin, cholesterol, and lethicin. The RPR and the VDRL become positive in a week or two after hanky-panky and have tighter reports that can be used to monitor treatment, while the FTABS is a treponemal test that stays positive for life. Gee, thanks for the wisdom, Dr. G. You're the best. Alright, so you go on to mention that a biopsy could also help make the diagnosis as well. 
Dr. G goes on to look at your KOH and agrees that it is negative and sees the patient himself and decides that he wants to do a couple of shave biopsies along with order in RPR with reflex. This kid's got it. I can see it in his eyes. If he doesn't have syphilis, he missed one hell of a chance. So how would a biopsy differentiate these three disorders that are on our differential? As mentioned, biopsy findings of pityriasis rosea include thin mounds of perikeratosis, spongiosis, a perivascular lymphohistiocytic infiltrate, and extravasated red blood cells. What other disorders show mounds of perikeratosis? The answer to that would be erythema annularis centrifugum, guttate psoriasis, and small plaque parapsoriasis. Biopsy findings for secondary syphilis include acanthosis with long, thin, reedy ridges, which is easy to remember because they can be quite phallic, a vacuolar interface dermatitis, which means that there are inflammatory cells in vacuoles that look like little bubbles at the DEJ, neutrophils in the stratum corneum, and plasma cells in the dermal infiltrate in about two-thirds of cases. Again, the histo findings for secondary syphilis may show acanthosis with long, thin, reedy ridges, a vacuolar interface, newts in the horn, and plasma cells in a dermal infiltrate. The spirochetes of treponema pallidum can also be identified with Warthenstari or Steiner silver stains. The biopsy for tinea versicolor is usually less impressive on H&E, so much that it is included in the normal skin histologic differential. What you will find are the spores and hyphae in the stratum corneum that can be highlighted with PAS stains. So how do we typically manage and treat patients with pityriasis rosea, secondary syphilis, and tinea versicolor? As mentioned earlier, pityriasis rosea is a self-limited condition that usually lasts three to eight weeks, so some patients only need reassurance that the rash itself is not harmful. If they're having significant itching, mild topical steroids, oral antihistamines, and UVB treatments may be beneficial. There have also been some studies that support the use of oral erythromycin at doses of 250 mg four times daily for adults and 25 to 40 mg per kg per day divided four times daily for kids. One study found complete clearance of lesions after two weeks in 33 out of 45 patients that were treated with erythromycin compared to none out of 45 patients in the placebo group getting clear in two weeks. However, other studies of erythromycin for PR have not been quite as impressive. As far as the management for secondary syphilis, patients should undergo proper screening for other sexually transmitted infections including chlamydia, gonorrhea, and HIV once they get their diagnosis of syphilis. Hopefully you drew an RPR or VDRL non-treponemal screening test because remember that these titers correlate with disease activity and are helpful for assessing the patient's treatment response. The RPR or VDRL should be repeated at 6 and 12 months after treatment is started. When patients with secondary syphilis are given their diagnosis, they should be screened for signs of neurosyphilis such as cranial nerve dysfunction, hearing and vision changes, or meningeal signs, just to name a few. What is the treatment of choice for syphilis? A.K.A. what should you be putting in the punch at one of your sleazy dance parties? The correct answer is benzathine penicillin, which is also known as bicillin LA, which is given IM in one dose of 2.4 million units. 
If benzathine penicillin isn't available or the patient has a penicillin allergy, doxycycline 100 mg BID for 14 days can be used. Oh, you're saving the planet with your benzathine penicillin. What is a big adverse effect that you need to be aware of? The answer is the Jerish-Herxheimer reaction, which is a systemic inflammatory response which usually occurs in the first 24 hours of treatment with fever, headache, and muscle aches due to our body's reaction to toxins released from the dead spirochetes. When it comes to managing patients with secondary syphilis, keep in mind that sexual partners should be assessed and presumptively treated, especially if sexual contact occurred within 90 days of the patient getting their diagnosis. And last but not least, let's talk the treatment for tinea versicolor. First, patients should be educated on the recurrent nature of disease and that hypopigmented lesions can take months to repigment and blend after successful treatment. Again, under-promise and over-deliver. Many patients can be managed with topical treatments similar to what we discussed in the seborrheic dermatitis lecture. Over-the-counter anti-dandruff shampoos like selenium sulfide or zinc pyrithione can be used as body washes. Patients should be instructed to lather up and leave it on their skin for at least 5 minutes if possible. Topical antifungal creams such as terbinafine, cycloprox, or ketoconazole can also be used for a two-week course with around an 80% cure rate. Once patients control their disease, they should be counseled on performing maintenance therapy, especially during the sweaty summer months, by using antifungal shampoos as body washes once every two to four weeks or so. Dead. Can't you just give me like a friggin' pill? Topicals are preferred, but if they aren't cutting it, oral therapies can be helpful, such as fluconazole given in two 300mg doses one week apart. Maybe you've heard an experienced attending like Dr. G say that they prescribed oral ketoconazole with a Coca-Cola and told a patient to do an activity that causes them to sweat afterwards. This is helpful because the acidity of the Coke helps absorb the ketoconazole prior to them sweating it out onto the affected areas. However, because of ketoconazole's black box warning for hepatotoxicity, it is not recommended for these superficial fungal infections. So that about does it for the pityriasiform rashes. I want to do a quick run-through of pityriasis rosea, secondary syphilis, and tinea versicolor before we kiss Dr. Grumpy Pants goodbye for the day. You lay one finger on me and I'll sue you for everything you're worth, which I'm sure isn't much. Remember, pityriasis rosea affects younger patients and presents with a herald patch followed by a diffuse eruption of salmon-colored, slightly scaly macules, patches, and plaques in a Christmas tree pattern on the trunk and proximal extremities. Lesions may have a trailing scale like EAC and can be mildly itchy at times. PR is associated with bugs and drugs, referring to HHV6 and HHV7 along with ACE inhibitors, NSAIDs, beta blockers, and gold. Biopsy findings of PR include mounds of perikeratosis, spongiosis, a perivascular lymphohistiocytic infiltrate, and extravasated red blood cells. Treatment is mostly supportive, including reassurance that the rash will resolve in 3 to 8 weeks, symptomatic treatment of pruritus with antihistamines and topical steroids, and oral erythromycin if you want to give it a try. Next, we have secondary syphilis, which is what our college student from our vignette actually had. So remember the rule of 3 weeks. The primary syphilitic chancre starts about three weeks after inoculation along with lymphadenopathy and constitutional symptoms. Approximately three weeks after that, as the chancre heals, patients develop secondary syphilis that presents with a pityriasiform papulosquamous rash that has no herald patch, is copper-colored, and affects the palms and soles. 
and may be associated with condyloma lata-like lesions in the mouth and genitals along with a moth-eaten alopecia and diffuse lymphadenopathy. Biopsy findings for secondary syphilis include acanthosis with long, slender reedy, a vacuolar interface, newts in the stratum corneum, and plasma cells in the dermal infiltrate. The spirochetes of treponema pallidum can be seen with Warthenstari or Steiner silver stains. Treatment of secondary syphilis includes bicillin LA, which is given IM in one dose of 2.4 million units, or doxycycline 100 mg BID for 14 days. Don't forget to look out for the Jerish-Herxheimer reaction and remember to have sexual partners treated as well. Then lastly, we have tinea versicolor, which presents as scattered tan to red macules and patches on the upper trunk and proximal extremities, which can be hypopigmented after sun exposure due to azelaic acid production. KOH shows hyphae and spores which look like spaghetti and meatballs. Treatment includes antifungal shampoos used as body washes such as zinc pyrithione, selenium sulfide, or ketoconazole shampoos. Then you can also use antifungal creams like ketoconazole or oral fluconazole 300mg in two doses, one week apart. And that's the pityriasiform rashes in a nutshell. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Remember to find your Gren Zone, that peace amongst the chaos. And one way to do that is to set aside some time for yourself every week. For me, this has always been Friday nights. Since the beginning of med school, I never studied or did anything work-related on Friday nights, and I always had this time to look forward to. It was time I could spend with my wife Jenny or with friends, and it was always guilt-free. We become so busy that it's hard to enjoy free time because we feel guilty not studying or working on something. But we need this time away to recharge our brains and recharge our spirits and our happiness in order to be productive. So if you're listening and it's a Friday night or whenever you wind down, put me away and enjoy. You've earned it. All right, thanks for joining today. I want to thank Dr. Sean for his help with the content and Dr. K for not only adding clinical pearls, but supporting this podcast from the get-go. I also want to thank Garrett and Dan for their work with editing and post-production, along with our excellent team of students and residents with Dave, Dan, and Sandra, who put together an awesome study guide for each episode that's available at www.grenzonederm.com. And that's with two Zs, grenzonederm.com. If you have any feedback on how we can improve our content, you can contact us through our website or via email at grenzonederm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more helpful mnemonics and quiz questions. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Logan Kolb, and we'll see you next time here in the Gren Zone. This episode is copyright 2020 Pro Podcasting LLC, all rights reserved. The Gren Zone podcast is a service provided by Pro Podcasting LLC and is not affiliated with any other service providers.